Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. So let's go to the passage, shall we? We're going to look at the Gospel of John, and we're going to begin at verse 21 before we start our our actual principles, because it kind of lays out what was going on ahead of time here. In verse 21 it says, And after these things Jesus manifested himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and he manifested himself in this way. Now let me remind you that this is the third time that John records Jesus making himself known to his disciples. The first time he did it, according to John now in his book, in, in in that gospel, was the fact that he did it the very night of the resurrection. The next time he did it was eight days later when Thomas was there. He revealed himself. Now, we don't know how many more days after that eighth day after the resurrection. Obviously, we know it's before he ascended up to heaven. So it could be a few days. I think it was many more weeks after that. And then Jesus now shows up and manifests himself. The first two times, he was in Jerusalem in one of the guy's houses, one of the disciples' houses. This time, Jesus shows up on the uh, shore of the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And by the way, that's the same place. They just named it a little differently because it was a town nearby, and they named it that's the same place. So he shows up there, and he now manifests himself in this way. What way? The way we're about to learn. He wants to make himself known a very special way in repurposing Peter's life, as well as these other guys, and maybe ours as well. So verse 2. It says, Simon Peter, so we know it's Peter, and Thomas, called Didymus, Nathaniel of Canaan in Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, which James and John, and two others of his disciples were together. In my opinion, I believe that would be Philip and Andrew. There's a lot of reasons because usually when this group of guys are mentioned and those guys are mentioned in the same group, even though they're not mentioned here. So there's seven of them that are together. Now, verse 3 says, Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, obviously, because... Peter was such a leader and influencer. They followed him wherever he went. He was the first one to speak. He said, we'll also come with you. And so they went and they got into the boat. And that night, they really didn't catch anything. Now, some people might think that he had basically abandoned everything. And it might be the case. There's some good reason to think that he was really on a downward slide and that he really was kind of moving away from the Lord. And I'd like to give you a couple of those reasons. The first one, Jesus said in John chapter 16, that he says, you will flee from me and you will go to your home or to your house. Now, technically, that word house in John 16:32 is not the word house in the original language. It's a word that's used in other places in Scripture to say to your own business, your own way of life. It could include your house, but not just you're going to go home. You're going to go to a place that you are familiar with. And so they abandoned him like Peter must have done, and he went back to what he was good at. He didn't become a, a painter, a butcher, baker, candlestick maker. He did what he was known for, fishing. We already studied that we believe that Peter was an owner of his own business. So he probably was going to restart his business again or engage into the business that he had. The second is it says they went to the boat, not a boat, but as they went fishing, they went to the boat. I want to make a little bit of that because it could have said any boat, they're going to go fishing, rent that boat, this boat, whatever. But when it said the boat, I think it's referring more to the boat that Peter originally had, the boat that they knew about, that particular boat that's part of their purview. So again, Peter is leaving what he was perhaps instructed to do by the Lord to be fishers of men. And now he's going back to what he did before when Jesus called him. He was a fisherman. So he went back to the boat. 
So when I look back to this, I do see a sense that um, he's wondering, okay, we saw Jesus, saw him die, he appeared, now I haven't seen him in a while, nothing much is happening, we've got to take care of ourselves, we've got to support our families, why don't we do something that we know how to do? And a bunch of these guys were already fishermen anyway, so they just kind of followed Peter to the Sea of Galilee, and that's where they were when Jesus found them. And that's part of this story of what's happening. Now, maybe in your life, it's the same thing. Maybe there was a time as a Christian, I'm speaking purely to Christians now, Maybe there was a time that you really sensed it was at a conference, a personal time in the Word, a seminar, a sermon, something, where that you really sensed that God was calling you to do something special. He was commissioning you. He was calling you to change something in your life so that you would be about bringing glory to Him and building His kingdom. Whatever's happened, you now have maybe come to a point where you're back to the same old, same old. Now, you tag God in there somewhere. You do go to church. You're here today. You might tag on a few other things, but you're now beginning to question, why am I here and what am I doing? It seems like I'm just going through the motions again. Maybe it's time for the Lord to speak into your life as well. I got thinking about people being called into ministry and not being called. I'd like to speak to that for just a moment. You know, uh, first of all, there may be some of you that for a while now, you knew that God has called you into ministry. I, I don't mean vocational you know, work on the side. I mean full-time vocational Christian service. Whether you're to be a preacher, a missionary, something where it is totally full-time for the Lord. You knew that God wanted you to give it up for that. But something happened in your life where you begin to kind of put that on the side burner, maybe rationalize that away, maybe even doubt that that was an original call. But ever since that time you've had that call till today, you still are not sensing a full purpose, a sense of place, as we would say here in Hawaii, that you're just kind of missing that. And that's a call that you've had, and it's not there. Maybe the Lord is going to use the next two weeks of these messages to you to, to go back and revisit that call when the Lord was now saying to you, this is what I really want you to do with the rest of your life as far as an outward ministry. Now, we can do ministry whatever we do. That could be a call. There may be some of you that you're now juggling to. You are involved in serving the Lord, but you also are involved in doing a part-time outside job. We will call that a bivocational pastor. Now, there are many of those that don't have a church perhaps as large or as as generous as this church is to provide for two full-time pastors. So we have to go out and take another job, not to do that here. That being said, there may be that split that's going on. You have to ask the question, has God called you to that? Being in the pastorate for almost 40 years, I've known men who've been pastors who will tell me today that they are absolutely sure that God has called them into a bivocational ministry. They would have it no other way that they sense that is what God has called them to do. And then there are those that are out there that they've never really sensed that real call to ministry. They haven't really sensed that call to do ministry as much as they can, but they know to support their family they have to do something on the side, like Paul did a tent-making thing. You sense that God has really called you into the secular arena. And whether you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker out there, you know that God has called you out there. But in his call out there, you then sense that, you know what, I'm going to use this as a way to engage the culture and through my job, first of all, model godly Christianity. Secondly, look for opportunities to bridge into the gospel, maybe not right on my job that day, but in some measure I am there as a missionary to my work culture. And you're called to do that. That might be where you are. The real question you have to ask yourself is, are, what, what has God called you to do? What does God want you to do? 
And then once you discover that, then do that no matter the cost and do it for his glory, for his best. Now let me give you a couple of cautions. There are some that are called into ministry and um, they can have the attitude of pride. That attitude of pride could be, look, I finally arrived. I am now in ministry. Sometimes I go to a, a seminar or a conference that they almost make it that you really even haven't arrived in ministry until you are a pastor. And their phrase is, if God called you to be a pastor, don't step down to be a president or something. I get all of that if God has called you to be a pastor. But there's that danger to think that I have finally arrived. I am really serving the Lord now. I'm in full-time Christian service and maybe even a pastor or missionary. The danger of that is a self-imposed spiritual pride. And I'll tell you that it won't be long before the Lord will really begin to work on you to humble you in that situation. Now that's a danger that we who are in ministry face every day, that we don't have that pride, that we realize that this is a wonderful calling, but it's a fragile calling, and that at any time I could blow it, and I don't want to do that. We want to be humble. But there's also a danger in the other two types of calling. The calling of the person who says, I know God's called me into this and called me into the other. I do ministry, and I also do the secular job. I get that. And then the other being, I'm just going to live for God in whatever secular job that I have. There's a danger in that. Sometimes when we are so much engaged in needing to take care of our other issues to do whatever we, we feel like we're called into, we could become entangled with the affairs of this life. And that's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said, be careful that you do not get entangled like a good soldier with the affairs of this life. So it means that all of us need to be on guard, first of all, to recognize what is our calling, what is our initial purpose in life. All of it is to bring glory to the Lord. We get that. But now how do we do that? What is that calling? And once whatever that calling is, we need to live that out moment by moment until the Lord changes our life or our direction, whatever it might be. So I'm merely posing a very serious and important question that everyone who's listening today needs to properly answer before the Lord. And I can't answer it for you. I wish I could. I wish I could say, you're to be a missionary. You're to be a teacher. You're to be a whatever. I can't. But I know God does have that calling in your life. What is your purpose? Why were you designed divinely by Him? Answer that question and take some time. And if you're sorting that through and want to have some help, there are some great guys that know the word, gals here as well, that will be glad to help you. So we see that Paul, excuse me, that, that uh, Peter was moving away from this. And let me show you what their initial call was, because you're going to see in a moment how they went out there and they caught some fish, or they didn't catch any fish, but in another time the Lord says, you will catch men. Hold your place here, and if you will, go to Luke. This is a neat passage of Scripture, if you will. Turn to Luke for just a moment. I like this. Uh, Luke chapter 15, if you will. Excuse me, Luke chapter 5, if you will. Luke chapter 5. I want you to see how that um, he's calling them and what he had them do here. And it's a little bit of a passage, and you might remember it as well. Verse 1, it says here, 5.1, Luke 5.1. It says, Now it happened that while the crowd was pressing around Jesus and listening to the word of God, obviously as he spoke, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, another way to say Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats lying on the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he got into one of the boats, which happened to be Simon's. Remember, the boat that Simon had. And asked him to put out a little way from the land. And as he sat down, he taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon... Okay, Simon, put out into the deep. Go out a little bit further and let down your nets for a catch. Well, Simon answered and said, Master, we worked hard all night and we didn't catch anything then. And, and nighttime is the time you catch fish, not so much during the day. Now, that's not said here, but that's the style of fishing that they did on that lake. They did it mostly at night. And he said, we haven't caught anything, but 
I will do as you say, and I'll let down the nets. Which, in my margin, I said, you know, even when you say, I don't know how this is going to work, but I'm going to obey you anyway. Even with a sense of reservation, Peter said, nevertheless, at your word, because you said it, I will do it. Although I don't see how this is going to work. All right, So he had weak faith, but he still had obedient faith, and he did it. Well, it went on a little bit further. After he did that, verse 6, it says, when he did this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. Now, this is different than the other story. They also got a great bunch of fish, but the net didn't break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boats for them to come and help them. Come on, guys, the net's breaking. Let's get as many fish as we can. So they came and they filled up both of the boats so they even began to sink. Can you imagine how many fish that would have been to take two boats where they almost sank? But when Peter, or Simon Peter saw that, he fell down at Jesus' feet, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. There was a degree of humility that was now in him when he experienced Jesus' miracle of what was happening. Now, I want you to keep this story in mind, because as we go back to John, you're going to see some similarities, even though there's some differences. All right, so he humbled himself. Now, verse 9. For amazement had seized him and all of his companions because of the catch of the fish which they had taken. So it was like, this is what the Lord said, but look at the results. It's much bigger than we ever thought could have happened. And so their faith is being strengthened to the point of amazement. Now verse 10. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. So he had guys in business with him. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not fear, from now on you will be catching men. Now that is the purpose for which Peter and those guys were called. Whatever you do, your main purpose is going to be catching men. From now on, this is what you're going to do. Verse 11, So when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and they followed him. Now by the way, a little side note, you can fish for men and not follow the Lord and it won't sustain you. But if you follow the Lord then it will help you to fish for men. Those true, authentic fishers of men that are sustained through life are those who follow the Lord from the inside out. And the outside then becomes that productivity. So that was their purpose in life. Now they went back to their fishing and not their purpose of fishing for men. Back to chapter 21 of the Gospel of John. So verse 5 says, So Jesus said to them, after he said, We didn't catch anything. He said, Children, you do not have any fish, do you? And they answered him and said, uh, no, no, we don't. Now, in your Bible, I don't know if it says children or not, but mine says children. And that caused me some thought. Was Jesus trying to marginalize these guys and make fun out of them? Hey, little kids, you didn't catch anything. Nah, 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 nah. He, I don't think it meant that at all. So as I went back to the study, I found out that it wasn't like he was calling them like little children. It was more like, hey, boys, hey, guys, hey, fellas, did you catch anything? So in other words, it was kind of like an endearment term, but also a term to let them know that, hey, you're just a bunch of guys out there fishing. Did you catch anything? And the answer was, of course, no. So let me give you the first point here. He said, cast your net on the other side. If you want to repurpose your life, you might consider doing what he's telling them to do. Not take your net, put it on the other side of the boat. But you ought to be, and I ought to be, involved in fishing for men. While that was a specific call to Peter that he should be fishing for men in Luke 5, you and I, no matter what we are, whether we tend to be in full-time vocational work or bivocational Christian people or whether we're just out there doing our job and we're going to use that job to get money to support missions and then live a godly life on the job, whatever those three are, all three of us need to be, three groups, need to be involved in fishing for men. That is a call. Where do I get that? 
at the end of Matthew, before Jesus ascended, same thing he's saying to the guys, a little bit differently, but the phrase goes like this. He says, go, as you go, make disciples of all nations. So now as I look at my life, if some of you are saying, what, what should I be doing in my life? One of the ways that you'll be able to discover that great purpose that you have is to discover what your spiritual gift is, how God has placed you someplace on this island, engaged in some kind of connection to the people, and as you are to think, how does the Lord want me to help that person, extension, that group, come to faith alone in Jesus Christ? Now think about that for a moment. I'm not here to put anybody on a guilt trip, but I want you to think a little bit more deeply. When was the last time, since that is our calling, is to make disciples, win them and train them, when was the last time you went eyeball to eyeball, nose to nose, toes to toes with someone and gave them the gospel? Now we might have invited them to some of our events like Melee Night, which I am grateful that you've done that. The gospel will be given clearly and lovingly and tenderly today. But at the same time, when was the time you engaged them? Maybe your first step is to invite people. Every time you come in contact, contact is opportunity. To help them somehow get to an event where you know it's not just a Christian event, but in some measure, the gospel is presented. Uh, maybe some of you would get some simple little gospel tracks, and your first step will be to put a gospel track in a bill that you're going to pay if you still use the envelope message method. Or maybe to leave a track when you buy some food at a, at a restaurant, and you leave a little note with a healthy tip, and that simple gospel track explains how to go to heaven. Maybe that's your next step into engaging in the beginning part of the Great Commission. Maybe for some of you it would be to use a phrase. When I meet someone and we get into a conversation, I don't say, hey buddy, are you going to burn in hell when you die? I don't do that. That'll turn everybody off. My phrase is, hey my friend, do you mind sharing with me, since we kind of know each other a little bit, would you mind sharing with me your faith journey or your spiritual journey? Now for them, they're going to go all over the map, but you know what they've done? they have now been given the opportunity to be able to feel comfortable about sharing whatever faith journey they are on. Do you know that by far the next question after they've done that is this? Well, what's your faith journey then? And they're asking me. And what do you think my answer is? My answer is, I want to share with you as a young man. I grew up in a home where I was told good boys go to heaven and bad boys go to hell. And I was told that I could never go to heaven because I'm not good enough. I grew up in a home where that they allowed me to go to a meeting where at that meeting I heard that the Bible is God's mind on paper and that it's accurate and that I could trust what it has to say. And one of the greatest things it said to me was that God loved me just the way I was and that as a sinner I'm separated from God and I'd spend eternity separated from Him. But no amount of my good works would get to heaven because I could never be good enough. Nobody can. But God with His mercy would give me forgiveness and a relationship with Him and a home in heaven by simply trusting in Him. Now, I'm no whiz-bang great guy. I'm just like you. I still get nervous around any lost person. I don't care who they are, even children. I do get kind of nervous how I do that. But I'm going to tell you that if you're looking for a purpose in your life, it's going to raise, when you go to work tomorrow, it's going to give you another reason to go there rather than, I know how to do this. I've got to go there so I can get paid to pay my bills. I mean, I'm going to tell you that's practically nothing different than an unsafe person. But now when you go, you're going to say, this is my mission field. I am there as God's man and woman to be able to be some form of an influence for the gospel of Christ. And so, Lord, please open up a door. Lord, please give me an opportunity in some measure to begin to probe them with the gospel. I don't know how that's going to work with you. I don't know what the laws are, the equal employment opportunity that you have. 
But I believe that God is larger than all of that. And if you are on that edge to say, Lord, just lead me, just show me. I'm there, I'm ready, I'm willing to do this. And you go with an anticipation. Be ready because it will absolutely astound you of what God's going to do because salvation still is ultimately all of him. And he will bring the right people to the right voice to hear the right message to trust the right God through you. And I pray that that might be the case. Well, that's what was going on here. So let's look at the, the next verse here as it says. <clears throat> he told them to do this, verse 6. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find a catch. So they cast and they weren't able to haul it all in because of the great number of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved, which we know is John, said to Peter, It is the Lord. Do you know that all through this discussion early on, they still didn't recognize the Lord until that great catch of fish happened? Notice what Peter did right after that. It's, it's kind of amazing what he did. I don't know that you and I would have done this, but this is what he did. After um, John said, It is the Lord. So when Peter heard that, it was the Lord, he put his outer garment on, for he was stripped for work, probably in kind of a loincloth, little undergarment bathing suit. And he threw himself into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards away, they dragged that full net of fish, at least toward the seashore where Jesus was. As I looked at that, I thought this was quite interesting. It seems like as I go through Scripture that Jesus reveals himself to the people he reveals himself to when he wants and that he is in total control of his own revelation to them. If you recall when they were, the, the, when we were walking on the, the ministry, he revealed himself, he opened up their eyes and he revealed himself then. Here he was all there, but at the right time he then revealed himself to them. I'm thinking right now that the Lord is so sovereign that he might be revealing himself right now to you. That today you're having to be confronted with the fact that God loves you. That you were in his mind before you were in your mother's womb. That he gave you life. He brought you to Hawaii. He's having you hear this message. You're having to do some introspection now about your calling and what you're to do. And what, what you're to do in, as far as reaching others for Christ. And he's now officially revealing himself to you. But the difference is, if you'll notice... John perceived he was Jesus, but it was Peter who acted upon it by jumping into the water because he was embarrassed on how he looked and he wanted to then swim, and he did. He kind of swam and reached out to go to Christ, but he humbled himself because he realized what he was wearing and he didn't want to dishonor this Lord that he now said, you are the Lord, you are the Christ, the living Son of God. He was now going to him. So I'm saying that, that there may be two kinds of people here. There could be those that... They know all of the things that I'm telling you. You perceive this is truth. You perceive it is right. But you haven't acted upon it. Then there are those that they quickly act upon truth, but sometimes they don't really understand what they're doing. And God says there's so much more to understand what is happening. And so I'd like to take those two different aspects and put them together. While you're truly understanding the Lord, begin to act on Him. Those that are acting, let's make sure that we're acting on the biblical truth of what God wants us to do in a blended and wonderful way. So I put in our notes here that they went from erosion of their purpose to an explosion of their purpose. The erosion was all night long, caught nothing. And then they had an explosion of their purpose when it says, it is the Lord, and he had them get this great batch of fish. Maybe for you, the Lord's going to come into your life in a special way when you now say, all right, Lord, I'm giving it up for you. I will serve you however you want me to serve you. I'm going to do it for you, and I'm going to recognize that there is lost and dying people all around me. 
But all of a sudden, things start turning around in your life as well. I don't know. It very well may happen. I do know this, that these guys already were purposed before, and now they're repurposed again to go do this. And what I'm finding after this particular event, Peter never went back to fishing. That's recorded in Scripture, at least. None of these guys did. And if that's the case, maybe it's time for us to see that our new purpose in life is to win people for Christ. doesn't mean give up your job. It just means get the right purpose for your particular job. Well, there are some valuable lessons to learn in this particular event. I put down here that failure and discouragement do not mean that you've lost your purpose. I was reading through Corinthians recently, and as I was, I noticed how the Corinthians were a group of people that Paul planted a church in the city of Corinth, and these folks really just had schisms. They weren't growing in the Lord. There was a lot of issues they dealt with. Moral impurity was, was in the church. A lot of stuff was going on, factions and, and groups and all that. Clicks, we might say. And Paul wrote him a letter, and he was, in a way, he was a little bit discouraged. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.